0: Welcome to the Bromley Buzz podcast. We are sitting, and we, I mean Richard Baldry, a local poet, and I, Darren Wheel of Injun B.R., uh, in the Orpington Record Store and Café, which may have Record Store Independence Day or some similar thing branding up in the window, I think, as well. Nevertheless, uh, here we are,
1: um, broadcaster meets poet. Uh, and, uh, Richard, would you care to introduce yourself? Thank you, Darren, and thank you for inviting me along uh, this morning. Um, yes, my name is as Darren has said, Richard Bowdry. I have four initials or three initials between the Richard and the Bowdry, called D J J, um, and they're named after my father, my uh, paternal grandfather, and my maternal grandfather, which I, I which is the reason that I have them in my name and on the cover of my book because I'm proud of my family. Well, while you're at it, uh, title of the book, please. We the can plug that regularly during the show. It's called Let's Sleep in Dogs Stand and basically the idea came about because uh, there's so much bad in the world, um, I think we can all agree, and yet we all sit there, particularly, dare I say being a bit controversial if you're British, we kind of sit on our hands and say isn't this terrible, but we don't actually get up and do anything to counter it.
0: No, worse than that. Uh, we actually fall into that mindset um, I did something years ago uh, for the public good as it were which I've closed down now it was a precursor to the Bromley bus and it was basically because I was getting off the bus one day and there was a couple in front of me and one said to the other this country's going to the dogs it's dreadful I wish we'd emigrated years ago to which my mind replied yes I wish you would emigrated years ago as well if you don't like something try to change it for the better
1: well that that's the thing and it's Certain um, elements of society, without getting too political, seem to be uh, making their point and others just seem to be sitting back and allowing that point to be made, without necessarily – I don't mean challenging it physically or, or you know, verbally necessarily, but I mean challenging it in a way that there's a counter-argument and we don't seem to be putting that. So you don't think we should glue
0: ourselves to the table as a form of protest against the iniquities of the potholes in Orpington and Bromley at the moment?
1: Well, if you're if you're if you're paying for the glue, I might consider it, but um, no, I don't. I don't think uh, we should be doing that. No.
0: Well, in any case, a reason we're here, of course, is because there is an upcoming festival, the Orpington. I'll put Orpington Arts Festival here. that's wrong, isn't it? Orpington Poetry Festival. Well, it's Orpington Literary Festival. Oh, dear me, I just can't get the presenters. No, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I know you're a stand-in today, Darren. Thank you for standing in. Um, no, seriously, uh, yeah, it's, it's happening in about three weeks' time. Uh, it runs for a week, from Sunday to Saturday. Um, I'm actually involved in two of the events on the 17th and 18th of May. Uh, Our first event is at the Croft Tea Room uh, in St Mary Cray, and there we will be doing literary light bites. It's a little play on words with the venue that we'll be performing at. Um, And basically, we've invited several poets and a musician to come along, I will be hosting the event and we will just be reading some poems, maybe some stories um, in short little bites so that, you know, nobody gets too bored. But actually, slightly bored is okay. slightly bored is okay, um, But you will get an opportunity to hear a a cross section of work, which I think uh, is a good idea because then it's not all one person droning on.
0: Well, I hope that um, the people that go there will be able to avail themselves of the food and drink that the, the craft provides. Uh, I know Louis, the guy that yeah. owns it, who's lovely. Yeah. We've had him on the podcast before. And some of his cooking is marvellous. When um, I, mean, I was there the last time, he was rendering down, I think, um, beef bones <laughs> so, for his um, sauces. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible as a
1: smell. But anyway, that's well, enough of that. While point. you're there, mm. ask him for a Fiat white.
0: Do um, you mean, uh, <laughs> i mean, you renamed a flat white
1: for him? Uh, no, well I did actually, yes, um, because the person who wrote the, the pricing and the mm. coffees up on the board, their L looked very much like an I, and so I went up to him at the bar and said could you get me a Fiat White please, and he said what do you mean? I said well you're advertising it, and I pointed to it, and uh, he had a little chuckle over that and said he won't bother changing it now, we'll keep it. Well, there are a lot of um,
0: Fiat White 500s knocking around. Yeah, are. There. Right, for those people who would like to attend the uh, Orpington Literary Festival and your event, um, what do you know about uh, where they can find out about it? Because I know who the people are organising it, but the listeners at the moment don't.
1: Well, the best thing is to go onto the Orpington First website. Yep. Quite simply, because there are a variety of events taking place over the course of the week. Um, I believe we've got an author speaking about the marriage of Princess uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. Um, so, and there are other events. Uh, two of two of our events are uh, taking place as well. One of which I've mentioned, and. Um, But because there are so many events going on, it uh, is the best place to get the latest up-to-date information because obviously something like this, um, there's always last minute changes. So um, check with the Alpington First website and if you find an event and a venue that is going on, um, just continue to monitor that to make sure it's still happening. Indeed, and I was going
0: to be, Uh, get a bit a bit out of sequence uh, because I have written in the course of discussing this with you before a poem uh, which I'm going to read out but I'm not going to read it out now because it occurs to me that would be a very poor way to treat my guest so we'll come on to your book again okay
1: Uh, just reminding me of the title let sleeping dogs stand and how do people get hold of this book It's going to be available via my website um, which is currently undergoing a little um, refresh um, which me being absolutely a technophobe and the doctors can't give me a cure for it I'm having to involve other people as well but that will be relaunched on the 14th of May and there will be all the information they need for getting hold of a copy of the book Lovely, Um,
0: what's the website
1: address? It's richardbowderywriter.wordpress.com.
0: Good. In fact, I was there only uh, yesterday before this uh, meeting. So that was good. Uh, And would you like to describe your book? I like the fact it's got a dog picture on the front. It goes uh, with Let a Sleeping Dog Stand. Uh, My my co presenter uh, and helper, Sarah Marsh Collins, who has two lovely
1: spaniels, Uh, that looks like a lovely spaniel too. It's a cross between a cocker and a Spaniel. Uh, cocker Spaniels are Spaniels, obviously, but yeah. it's between the two breeds. Sorry, you didn't actually mention the second breed. Is it a Springer or something? Um, or, it's, or two different varieties of Cocker? Uh, if any of your listeners could tell me, the problem we have with mean, <laughs> hybrid High-breed Spaniel. Yeah, co- yeah, the yeah co- I think co- we'll, we'll settle for that because the dog, you know, he keeps running around in circles and we can't work out why, but he's too old now to, to change him. But he's a lovely dog. Sadly, he lost his eye through an infection, um, which is um, why I took the picture of him standing with his eye that had been, uh, had to be removed, but it just gave the impression that he was kind of asleep, but he was standing, so we need to get the sleeping dogs to stand and well, wake up.
0: Like most Spaniels, he has a rather noble look uh, and uh, a bit of the Cavalier King, King Charles
1: about yeah. him. What's yeah. his name? His name is Barney. He's a lovely, lovely dog. He, he just curls up with you when you're watching television. Um, he's as scatty as anything. Um, but I wouldn't change him for the world. Right? Well, I ask you to describe the book, of course, he's on the cover. Yeah. Uh,
0: what is the nature of your poetry, and that people will read if they dip into it?
1: Um, it's very difficult to I'm quite eclectic with my poetry. I tend to come from the school, well, I say school. My writing tends to be about things that people can relate to. So, you know, whether it be what happened during the war, um, mental health, um, COVID, um, the BBC and the license fee. uh, It's a complete mishmash of styles and themes that run through the book. But also I'm very mindful that I didn't want to write something that was so deep that people couldn't grasp it. Or they might think, hmm, I'm not sure I can go with this. I'd rather write something that, not that my mum could understand, because I always remember her saying about my poetry that she didn't understand it. So, in a way, I'm kind of reaching out to my mum because I want everybody to be able to read it, rather than just people that have got a particular interest in poetry or have grown up with poets and and like particular poets. I would like to appeal to those that don't read poetry, um, because I think that poetry is a tremendous um, uh, literary uh, ability that can actually be used for good for people. We'll, um, come, we'll come on to that. It's literally
0: um, life-changing. You know, sorry, I'm a dreadful interrupter. If I had a finding system I have with Xena at the moment on, that would have cost me ten pence.
1: Yes, <laughs> uh, so I understand she's getting you a chair with a button, so every time you interrupt... <laughs> ah, uh,
0: the Graeme Norton yes. chair, I get thrown back. Hey
1: <laughs> but anyway, so that's, you know, I'd like my poetry to appeal to more than just people that read and like poetry. And I'd I'd like it to appeal to people like my mum and... I work with you know um, but as I say the proof of the pudding is in the eating so you can only put it out there uh, and let others be the judge.
0: Well what this means is that uh, your nickname is not going to become Richard Ezra Pound uh, Bowdury anytime soon uh, he was a, a collaborator I think with an influence on TS Eliot who he himself did. was difficult enough but Pound was another level up again as far as I remember but in any case that teases up very nicely. Would you like to offer a sample from your book?
1: Yes, I would. Um, I think that poetry, one of the things it can do is is t- to highlight um, subjects and to be used to discuss subjects that perhaps otherwise would not be discussed. Um, I'm thinking particularly with this poem, um, Mental Health, because... A lot of people just won't talk about it. I personally experienced mental health in my past, in my youth, um, and I know that it can be a very debilitating illness. I call it my fogbound days. Um, Churchill called it the black dog, mm. um, but I called it fogbound because whenever I suffered from it, I couldn't see my way out of it, mm. and I just scrambled around. Um, just trying to find an exit and sometimes you just can't find an exit and it takes an intervention and sometimes poetry can be that intervention if you had a lot of people together uh, you could actually sit them down and say just write you know, as journaling as we mentioned earlier but just write, just write your feelings down you don't even have to show it to anybody Mm. just write it down and it can be um, therapeutic it's not for everybody but unless you try it, you don't know. So this poem, um, the, all my poems have a background to them. Uh, there's something that kicks them off. And this one was a very good friend of mine uh, who I got to know who lives in, or lived in North Devon. Sadly, he's dead now. Um, but he used to be a butcher up in North London and things were very, very hard and he was losing business. And on the way home one night, he stopped off on, the I think it was the Hammersmith Bridge, and he seriously considered throwing himself off the bridge, things were that bad. Fortunately, he didn't, he went on home, and then his life changed dramatically after that. But that gave me a, a kernel of an idea, and over the years, I've developed what I've called the poem At the Edge of Beyond. On a howling clifftop, haunted by lost souls hidden in the twilight, mourned a solitary figure at the edge of beyond, who, crushed by the weight of his own existence, was unable to lighten the darkness which shadowed his mind. So he sought an uneasy truce between the agony of giving up and the torment of battling on, but was damned either way. Below the sea raged, its waves hurling themselves against the white chalk soaring up, eager to snatch this fractured life. Into this snake pit came a still small voice, dismissed as static, born of a highly charged atmosphere, leaving this lone figure to prepare for that final desired step on this the shortest of journeys because pain trumped fear. By dawn, the sea had carried off the night before and resumed its innocent ebb and flow.
0: That obviously refers to the abyss that awaits us all if we let it. Yes. But uh, am I right in saying there that you didn't indicate whether he went ahead with the act of suicide or not?
1: I haven't actually, Mm. but I leave that for the individual because do you take that step, the shortest journey? Because it's one step. Do you take that step or did something intervene? And that's what I quite like about the poem is it doesn't, you know, it's not that cut and dried with mental illness. You can't actually say, right, if you do this, you'll be healed. If you do that, you won't be. So I've tried to write it, as my friend didn't actually take that step, but I've, try- I've tried to leave it that you can think about, what would I do, would I take that step, would I step back, you know? And it leaves it open for debate, rather than being cut and, and dried. It leaves the whole scenario open for debate amongst yourself or with other people if, if you've come to somebody else's um going through something similar or has read the poem and you you know discussing it with somebody else but that's what poets do they put things out um it's like letting the birds fly you know you kick the bird out the nest i'm terrible for that i quite often keep back and keep it back and some of these poems i've rewritten anyway that i've published because i'm not satisfied with them but at some point, as a poet, you have to say, I've got to kick it out, because otherwise you'll forever be a poet that's always editing.
0: Mm. Um, seriously, I really enjoyed that poem. Uh, it uh, spoke to me, and I'm sure that Zina Norani, my co-presenter, will be very much the same when she hears this back as well. Well, feel free to use it in any scenario where you think it might help. Um, I do have one, which I'll speak to you about separately, I think. Um, and I will also invite you to close this when we get to that point with a second poem, mm-hmm. so you can think about which one to choose. If you have one that happens to be more upbeat, <laughs> in the spirit of the Bromley buzz, that might be best, but it's your book, your discretion. Well, it was an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, from Devizes, possibly.
1: Um, <laughs> from Bromley.
0: Yeah, funny enough, uh, when I was swapping around the order of the questions for this, I was going to touch upon poetry as therapy, mm-hmm. which, in effect, is what you've talked about there. And last summer, there was a poetry day as part of the Bromley Arts Festival, and I was there. And it was fascinating seeing people from all backgrounds And with all kinds of issues in their life, standing up on the stage and bearing their souls to help themselves and to help others. And as we said earlier on, journaling, writing, or poetry, it's wonderfully democratic. All you need is a pen or your phone and a piece of paper, Mm -hmm. and you're off. It doesn't cost anything other than your mindset to actually do something with it. And it can, it's an outlet for your words and your feelings. And it's so easy. Uh, Even during the Arts Festival I wrote a poem when I was facing the stage and I did another one in two minutes earlier on for this. And it doesn't matter about technical ability, it matters about whether you find it touches you at the time. So all I wrote is this. Poetry is good for you if you want to get things off your chest. It's great, it's true. Poetry really can be the best
1: absolutely and that's the thing about poetry you get certain people um, who would dismiss people like Pam Ayers, some of the uh, more snobby elements but in my opinion I might like or might not like a poem but I would not say that that person hasn't got the right to write a poem because it's not something I would like um, I've heard some of these um, spoken word events where I've heard uh, people howling words at an audience and that is just not my scene at all but I wouldn't say that's rubbish poetry because for, for start didn't understand half of it but it's that person has a right to deliver their poetry as they see fit it's not my right to say you can't do that so for me there's no bad poetry as such it's just poetry you either like or you don't like because a lot of people didn't like T.S. Eliot's work, and a lot of people love his work. So, you know, who's to be the arbiter of what's good and bad
0: poetry? But even T.S. Eliot wrote Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, mm. which is probably easily the most accessible thing he ever wrote, and it's genuinely funny in a lot of places as well. And Lloyd Webber made a lot of money out of it. Yeah, very good point. Um, yes. Uh, So, actually, I was going to ask about the value of poetry, but we've just talked about that very thing. Um, Right, Okay. If I am a young person, Mm -hmm. or I am a middle-aged person, or I am somebody who is lying... uh, Terrible thing. They're lying in a hospice bed. They know that they're facing mortality ahead of them. They've got cancer, one of the taboo Mm. subjects we speak about on the Let's Talk Better campaign. There is no point in your life when you can't say to yourself, at least, poetry and feel better, perhaps, as a result. What tips would you have for someone contemplating the act of poetry?
1: Do it is probably the best tip I can give. Um, and just let the words flow. Just write and write uh, until you can't write anymore. And then look at, put it away, maybe for a day, maybe for a week. I mean, obviously, if you're at the end of life, then that's not an opportunity to do that. But otherwise, put it away for a day or a week or even a month. I've left a poem for three years before I went back to it. Then go back to it, look at it, and and you will see things that you will want to change because that's how it is. You'll think when you do things off out of your consciousness and just write it down, you often go back and think, actually, I I do it all the time, that is rubbish, why did I write that? Um, So then give yourself an opportunity to edit. But at some, and it's a decision whether then you want to go on to uh, publish it and there are various magazines and outlets where you can do that, or you might just want to keep it to yourself. I mean, a lot of people just write it for the joy of writing poetry. They don't want to share it with other people and that's fine. That's a very interesting
0: point. Um, Someone I know is the survivor of familial sexual abuse, Perry Power, uh, who's trying to influence people into talking about that more widely so that the incidence of it goes down and that the survivors can feel better in themselves and he talks about forgiveness but his big thing is break the silence. Mm. Uh, and the first place to break the silence is to recognise what you've been through yourself, and open up within yourself. Then you can maybe move on to other people. So poetry is one of the outlets whereby you can do that without taking the risk mm. of other people seeing it. So it's so, like I said earlier on, it's such a democratic thing. Now then, tell me about when poetry, when you started to write, and along the way your poetical influences and favourites
1: okay well um, I started to write poetry in my teens and I did two or three pamphlets in quick succession I say in quick succession because I'm very old now um, but uh, it was probably over uh, for eight year period I published three pamphlets um, met my wife at the same time, and we got married, we started a family, I had a career ahead of me, and suddenly poetry and other writing, because I do other writing as well, but uh, it began to take very much a back seat um, until about 10 years ago, when I, th- I met a gentleman called Jerry Dowling, of Cray Wanderers, he's a poet, uh, runs his own community publishing company. Um, and he and I um, got together and we wrote a book about um, Donald Ward, a local poet, uh, died in 2003. And we wrote a book about his life and his influences because there wasn't anything about him around. Uh, and Jerry published it and uh, it is available from the um, Cray 150 Publications website still. I think there are still some copies left. Um, So that's really triggered in the last ten years why I've got to um, writing poetry Uh, and as I've gone on I've thought actually I'm not brilliant at it but I'm not bad either. I'll keep I'll keep this up and see where it leads, and that's where I am today. Hence, my first actual book of poetry, as opposed to pamphlets, uh, which are now called chapbooks these days by those in the poetry circles. Influences. Influences. um, Dylan Thomas was probably my first influence, and not for poetical reasons. Um, He was, his character, and the way he lived his life was more appealing to a young man than my, than uh, perhaps should have been, and uh, so his his life was was a great influence on me. And I thought at the time I'd like to be like that. I mean, crazy when you think he died at thirty nine years of age. Um, but he wrote what I think is one of the greatest poems in the English language, and that's called Fern Hill. Um, and you can get access to that easily online, and I'd suggest to listeners, uh, have a read of it and see what you think. He was a truly great poet. Um, and he came from a background that's not dissimilar to mine, although his was more middle class, mine was working class. But there are similarities, and no those similarities drew me into poetry. Um, Thomas Hardy's another lovely, lovely poet. Um, I think his po- his poems are better than his books, actually, because um, he he's got such a way with words in his poetry, and plus the fact it, a lot of it come on the back of the grief of his death of his wife, who he treated very badly during his life, but on, upon a death, suddenly realised what he was missing and what he would, had actually lost during the marriage. Um, then, of course, you've got people like Lennon and McCartney, whose lyrics, people say, are po- lyrics poetry? Well, yes and no. If you can sing the poem, then they're lyrics, and those lyrics are poetry. Um, not all poetry can be sung, and it's not written for the voice but um, Lennon and McCartney wrote some great tunes um, Across the Universe is one uh, that I thoroughly enjoy the words of. Um, People like uh, Paul Simon, he wrote some wonderful lyrics as well. So you can have lyrics that, that can make good poetry, but I think the difference that you have to remember is that lyrics are for singing, poetry, is for reading or performing as a spoken word and sometimes they don't mix but other times they do
0: Mm. yes i've long thought that um, song lyrics are poetical Mm. uh, and apart from things like repetition perhaps that's one of the areas where they depart from each other um, there's a lot to it i'm going to now go on to read another poem This one is one that I picked up, or from a book I picked up. I was on holiday in Cumbria, and my family and I went to two of the former homes of the poet Wordsworth. Mm -hmm.
1: And Uh, Dorothy. Yeah.
0: Um, And one was in Cockermouth and another one nearby. Both beautiful places. Um, One of them is owned by the National Trust in Cockermouth. In the new bookshop in Cockermouth, I found a book of poems... Uh, by Nikita Gill, Uh, and the book is called These Are the Words, a subtitle, Fearless Verse to Find Your Voice, and some of these really spoke to me, and I've chosen one called A Love Story. You were once a love poem, written by soft, gentle hands, protected with a fierceness. Someone made you with love and let you out into this world. My mother tells me the story, of a woman who gave her heart to a parrot. One day she had to leave the cage door open. Let the parrot fly away with her heart. My mother told me this is what it means to love. You put your heart in someone else, leave the door open and accept every happening in the next minute, whether they stay or take your heart and walk out.
1: Hmm. I think that's beautiful. It is, and I think um, that's another thing that poetry does. It expresses something that you feel particularly passionate about, and it can, as the poem says, and I've said before, release it out into the wide world and into the, the, the um, people who, who would really benefit from such works, and that is a lovely poem.
0: Now, well, we're nearly at the end of this interview, but before it closes, would you like to tell me what there is to know about the poetry scene in Bromley? I've heard of and actually met somebody from the Shortlands Poetry Circle. I have also met and spoken to a quite celebrated poet who lives locally called Teresa Lola. Uh, and I would say that David Bowie, another musician, another mm-hmm. lyricist, is rather poetical. But outside of that, I don't know anything. So what is there to tell?
1: Okay, well, first of all, there's the Croft Poetry Group, which I helped to set up with Jerry Dowling. I I really assisted, it was his baby. And uh, we set it up in 2013. And it meets at the Croft Tea Rooms in St. Mary Cray, uh, alternate Thursdays in the morning. So they're actually meeting this morning. So if you take that as the Alternate Thursday, then the next one will be in two weeks' time. Um, We have also um, Cleo Felstead, who I came across recently, who holds a once a month on a Friday, I believe it is, at the uh, Fitology Kitchen in Chislehurst and I believe it's in an upstairs room, but there's uh, an opportunity for poets or those that enjoy poetry and just want to go along to listen, um, to go along once a month. Um, I don't have the contact details, unfortunately, for her, but what I'll do is I'll give you them before I leave. So if there's any associated uh, social media on this, you can perhaps put that on there for your listeners to to, uh, get hold of. Um, so, And we've mentioned the Shortlands Poetry Circle, which I believe has been going on for over a hundred years. I'm not quite sure on that, but it's, if the Croft Poetry Group goes on as long, that would be good. <laughs> but um, there are three outlets for anybody that's considering writing poetry or just listening to poetry that would like to get more involved. Um, there are three outlets for you in the area. I'm sure that this will grow. Uh, The Alpington Literary Festival will cause other things to come out of the woodwork, and so you know, just keep your ear to the ground and and look out for anything that that might be of interest to you. And just to conclude there, I forgot to mention that we're also performing during the festival on the 18th at the Alpington Library the 18th of May 10.30 to 11.30 and that's a completely free event um, but you need to book up because uh, it's limited space so we want to try and get everybody in that wants to be in and Jerry and I will be doing um, literary short bites which is carrying on something that the library did before Covid and it's just taking we're taking a look using the word Alpington we're taking a look at um, writers, not, not necessarily poets, but writers who've got a, a, a letter that's in Orpington for their surname. So that's something else to look out for. Yeah, we interviewed
0: uh, Lloyd Hollett, uh, the comedy wordsmith, who was on stage during the run of Jack and the Beanstalk at the Churchill Theatre. Uh, And uh, he goes out there and does pantos and other things for entertainment and writes comedy. And uh, a bit like poetry, the ability to do something which is relevant and which you enjoy. When he was co-writing the play, the book of uh, the Panto, uh, he wrote a section in which he, in a comedic manner, referenced 75 local shops from the Glade. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and uh, when I saw it on stage, it was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. So he's another person that I think has that ability. Now, we are coming to the end. Would you like to close the show in your own words and your own voice with a second poem?
1: Thank you for saying that. And uh, I, I do understand that after the first poem I've read out, it might be prudent to read something that's a little bit more humorous. Um, I hope it won't offend anybody, but it is uh, a limerick, and it's called Anarchist. And it goes thus. There once lived an anarchist, indwelled with pluck, who said, man's turning this earth into muck. To promote his claim, he glued himself to a plane But in the air, his claim come unstuck. (laughs) Yes, there's other things that could have rhymed me there which really would have rendered it not suitable for the podcast. (laughs) But thank you for not going there. No, well, the thing is that you don't know who's going to pick your book up as well. And um, I'm not that kind of person anyway. So, you know, um, I want everybody to be able to read my work if they want to. And I don't want to put barriers in their way and, and using inappropriate language for me, would be a barrier. Well, thank you, Richard Bowdry, for your time
0: and for your words. No, thank you for
1: inviting me.